Good morning, everyone. I have to share with you, as I've shared with others, a few others, I now know why people like to travel down to uh, New Mexico and Arizona for the winter. Uh, I don't know if that means I'm getting older or, or what. And so, uh, but I discovered that this last week. Uh, I appreciate all those who've been supportive over the years and most recently, so I could do a little bit more traveling and sharing the, the gospel. Really excited about going to uh, Virginia next week. I'm going to be preaching through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. It's totally filled with new creation, power of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the gospel, and uh, and then I'm getting to preach out of uh, 1 uh Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, a profitable sacrifice. And uh, I'm going to preach that sermon sermon here when I get back, but I'm excited. And it really, as shared was this morning, both by Jeff and by uh, Jacob, you know, each one of us doing our part is able to accomplish so much more. And uh, I once again want to praise God for uh, Braden and Stephen and Matt who are now in Christ, and uh, all three of those uh, men are excited about serving the Lord. And you might want to pray for the uh, establishing uh, a beachhead down there in, in uh, New Mexico. Uh, Matt's just a, a goer, and he's got a per- personality that just takes you by storm. And uh, he's not like Brian and I. He takes you by storm, but he doesn't run you over with tire tracks on your face. <laughs> so he's really a great guy. And so uh, uh, I'm excited that he's a brother in Christ. So with that, I have several announcements this morning. Uh, let me see, Braxton, would you mind coming up real quick and help me out? That way I don't have to, to run down and run back and run down and run back. Would you give that to Mr. Finneman right up front? We, uh, I'm going to try and get the calendar for next month done today. And so if I get three extra families to volunteer to clean the building. I'm going to try and get that calendar done before I go to Virginia. So I'm leaving on Wednesday. So now, here we go. Notes of encouragement. Tamara, thank you for being such a stalwart, steadfast anchor to so many in the body of God. You have made and continue to make such an impact in our individual lives, both through your constant prayers and through your listening and unconditional love and support, I adore you. Let's give it up for Tamara. Where are you, Tamara? Oh, right down there. Okay. Woo-hoo. Oh, I like this one too. Desi, your smile lights up the room. I'm glad you're back with a big heart. Woo, give it up for Desi. Woo-hoo. All right. Jacob, or sorry, Jake, should have said it the right way. Great job this morning reminding me how important it is to serve in the body of Christ. You are an encouragement to me. Oh, I should have said it this way. Jake, it's from Angie. There you go. Give it up for Jake. Woo-hoo. Sorry, Angie. Didn't mean to be offensive. All right. Mr. D, your message was awesome this morning from Ty. Give it up for Mr. D. You know, both my son and and, and, 
Mr. D stole some of my sermon, so I'm not upset or anything. <laughs> we must have heard it, needed to hear it more than once. Avery! Hey, Avery, where are you, Avery? Where is she? Avery! Hey, Avery, up here. Hi! I got one for you. Listen to this. Hi, can you say, wait, can you wave? <laughs> That's good enough. All right, Avery, you are such a bundle of joy and energy and sunshine. Keep being awesome and spreading joy and blessing. Your parents are doing an amazing job. There you go. Woo! Give it up for Avery. <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, grandchildren are really a distraction if you're a grandpa. Right, Ken? Right, Ken? Grandkids are a distraction, right? Even though they're not your own grandchild. You know, and we know Jeff is completely up here. So anyway, but you know what? For those who are understand family and the little ones are great. It's awesome. So here we go. Steiner family is hugely encouraged to see you faithfully meeting with the Christians. You are a blessing. And I can say amen to that one too. Let's give it up for the Steiners. Oh, and by the way, did you know that as American citizens, we have the right and the responsibility to be an educated uh, citizenry? I think a lot of problems with what's going on is a citizenry that's kind of checked out. An apathetic citizenry is a dangerous citizenry because those of us who love freedom <clears throat> oftentimes do not receive that from our representative form of government. Notice I said that deliberately. Uh, there are many ballot measures coming up in May. I want you to be mindful of those ballot measures and what they will do for you or to you. And then be assertive about expressing your convictions, but also sharing those with others. I have some information uh, on the front table in regards to one of the important ballot measures coming up. And so you might want to look at that. And look very carefully at what it is going to do for you. I encourage you to do that. That would be very, very important. All right. Let's see. I got some announcements here. College age group is on for tomorrow night, but we're going to take the Monday the 24th off. Or I should say, uh, Mrs. Compton is going to take the 24th off. I'm going to be uh, back in, in Virginia. Fellowship dinner this Wednesday at the Kirkpatrick's Place at 5.30, Wednesday the 26th, uh, or, yes. Oh, wow, man. Yes, it's Sundays. Fellowship dinner tonight at the Kirkpatrick's. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, Wednesday evening the 26th, we want everyone to go out to Alvador. Alvador. They're having a meeting out at Alvador in regards to this very important initiative that's coming up that'll be on the ballot. So uh, it'll be very enjoyable for you to meet Cliff Harrell, Sheriff of Lane County, super good guy. And uh, I'll tell you what, he's open to any questions, any question you want. Yes. They are also doing jail tours. Yes. On Wednesdays and Saturdays? Right. And if people are interested, I can find out. You know, that would be great. And I think he shares those also at these, these town hall meetings, which yeah. I think is tremendous. 
Yeah. I'm sorry? Six thirty, just like we normally meet, but only at Alvador. So good. And uh, I've been on the jail tour. What you've thought about Lane County Jail, I guarantee, is incorrect. I was thinking jail of just slamming them in there, closing the door, locking them up. That's not how it works here. In fact, we've received national recognition uh, for the way we work with um, our people in this in this county. And there's many places that are wanting to model after our uh, Lane County uh, Corrections Institution. So pretty, pretty amazing. I was shocked, actually, and uh, really excited about what they're doing. So with that, any other announcements other than next Sunday? Uh, this is just for warning. Brian Bragg is going to be preaching. I just wanted you to know. So no one's clapping or screaming or yelling, Brian. <laughs> There was no like, ah, that's good. At least I didn't see any. All right. Oh, birthdays. Man, David, how is it that you're 16 already? I remember when you're about this big. I mean, serious. Look at you. 16. Do you have a car? Do you have your license? Can you let us know when you do? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, man. Anyway, happy birthday. That's great. That's great. I'm serious, man. How'd you get this, this old this fast? I don't look a day different than I did 16 years ago, do I? Don't rub your lip, I, you know. <laughs> All right. And Eli, by the way, happy birthday to Eli if you're watching this morning. So we're going to sing happy birthday to the birthday boys. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Happy birthday to you. So, David, I got to tell you, and I, you may have heard this before, but within my 16th year, I bought a Mustang and I wrecked it twice. So I'm hoping you do a lot better than I do. I mean, a lot better than I do. All right. So moving on really quickly. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Unless there's any other announcements I might have missed. Grab your Bibles. It's Psalm 34, verse 4. You know, this, this little tiny little verse says a lot if you were to expand it and kind of peel all the layers of the onion back on this thing. Psalms uh, chapter 34 and verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. There are three critical parts to that passage. That one little sentence has three huge, gigantic Parts to it. What's the first one? I sought the Lord. You know, if you want to you conquer every fear, you need to start with the one who is himself life eternal, who is light and life and love and courage and strength. You know, you need to seek him because in our finite wisdom, our finite understanding. Fear possesses us oftentimes because of the fear of the unknown or fear of the known but not understanding that God is sovereign and in control. And you know, the second part here is rather interesting as you would read it with me. I sought the Lord and he answered me. 
Our God is not a rock or a piece of wood or, or a philosophy or a thing like a car. Our God is the one and only true living God, and he created you unique, distinct, no one ever like you. He created you and I for a purpose, and he desires fellowship with you. And when you become a Christian, he desires so much to hear from you because he wants to bless you. That's the kind of father he is. You know, so many look at the Old Testament and they go, well, that's not the same God as the, the New Testament. Uh, I beg to differ. Same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We just need to understand that our God is a jealous God as a husband would be jealous for his wife and how we walk away or others are stealing our hearts. Our God loves us that much. And so he will respond to us and give us what we need to overcome our fears. And then finally, it says here, he delivered me from all my fears. There's something in that statement that's important. And that is, all humans fear some or all things. And the one that we've been working on is conquering the fear of death. And so as we introduce the lesson, I think of all the reasons why someone would, would fear death. Someone might fear death because they are unaware of what will come after the fear of the unknown. Boy, there's literature all over the place talking about what happens after death. There are some religions that say that nothing does. You just go into a, an absolute nothingness state of non-being. Well, that's kind of an easy out. It's not true. Some fear the process of dying. Some fear not only the process of dying, but not being prepared for family, friends left behind. In fact, I'll say, tell you right now that when I had COVID, I was in the hospital and they wanted to intubate me and, and I was hard, could hardly breathe. Uh, I said, no. I actually told the guy I had the nerve enough to say, hey, if I'm that bad, just give me a, a, a body bag and I'll promise to bring it back full. You know, and, and I didn't quite say it that way, but that was kind of the ramifications. And once you're in, by the way, back in those days, you're not getting out unless you walk out or they bag you up and they send you out, which was terrifying to me. But yet it wasn't terrifying in that I was going to die. Actually, it was kind of a neat thought because I've set my, my personal life up. But what about my family? What about the church? I felt comfortable about, you know, Brian and, and, and Jeff and Kurt taking over and drawing some of the other good men in that have been serving and working. I knew that would be fine. But my living trust hadn't been signed yet. So I was like, okay, Sharon was going to get it anyway, so that'll work out. I, I finally went, ah, it'll work out. But I wasn't fearful about actually dying. I was fearful for those who would be left behind. Concerned, I guess, would be a better word. But you know, there's so many other facets that would cause people to fear death. You know, PTSD really is real. 
really is real. When I was rolling down the hill in that pickup truck, when I was rolling down the hill, yeah, John West and I were having a great time. Hey, there's like Disneyland. I really wasn't thinking that, actually. I mean, it was like, it was like in slow motion. If, how many have ever rolled in, a, in a, a vehicle before? Was it in slow motion for you? It was the craziest thing. I mean, we're going up the hill, and all of a sudden, we're not going up the hill. We're sliding backwards, and he's giving it all he's got, but it was slick. And then the back driver's side tire goes off the edge, and I went, uh-oh. <laughs> and then we start to roll. You know, three times down the road, and God put two beautiful oak trees perfectly on that side of the hill. I mean, they were perfectly placed. One hit the front tire, one hit the back tire, and uh, busted my window out so I could slide through like Superman. But during that few seconds, it was like slow motion. Wow, this is really strange. I'm wondering how this is all going to end up. <laughs> I mean, serious, <laughs> true. And so uh, I wasn't fearful about death. I was just kind of like, now, this is a really strange phenomenon. I'm absolutely, totally out of control. Now, my mind was thinking this as my head is bumping against the top of the roof three times. But I didn't fear death. But I know that afterwards, there were, there's been twice in my experience that I don't want to go back to that experience. Uh, once, I think it was either with Ryan or Jacob going around a corner. And Jacob thought I was like freaking out. It's like a cat in a car. <laughs> Just I didn't want to do that thing again, okay? It wasn't so much about death. Maybe it was, I don't know. And then when I was up in Montana at uh, uh, Montana Badlands Camp, there was a guy that was driving a big old bad pick-em-up truck. And you know when there's flash floods, it, it dredges sides of hills away where the water runs? Well, we drove out there, there was no water, but this he was going down this road, and here's this road, and it's like it's like drop-off about 50 feet, and, and the road's going on this hill, and I mean he's going, Oh, I think we can make it. I'm on this side, and the cliff is right there. And I'm just like the cat trying to crawl out the window again. You know, again, fear. I didn't wanna, I don't think there was any oak trees down there that time. See, I mean that was the problem. I don't know. But we need to recognize and understand that fear can be overwhelming. It can immobilize. It can keep us from being able to function. And the devil knows that. The, the fear of death, the last sermon that we're going to do once I get back from Virginia, we'll talk about how the devil uses that to leverage people into giving up the faith or just shutting down. But not today. Today we're going to talk about conquering the fear of death through duty and devotion. Now, I found this rather interesting when I was doing my study. Uh, we're in point number one now, by the way. Uh, uh, conquering the fear of death as a carnal man or a woman. And when I say carnal, I'm meaning without the spirit. I know there's a lot of good people uh, outside of Christ that are really striving to live their lives in service to others. Some pretty tremendous uh, people. Uh, but I'm talking about someone who doesn't have the, the spirit of Christ yet. And some of the remedies I found... I want you to read you some of the remedies. This is now from a worldly, no God perspective. So the first one is cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, when I was in college, basically you could make a chicken go and push a button to get food. 
And so the chicken would not figure it out. And all of a sudden, he pushes the button accidentally. goes, oh, there's food. And he goes over and eats it. Okay, And then he's bumming around again. And he hits the thing. And the food goes, oh, there's food. And then pretty soon, the chicken's going, bing, 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 bing. That's what cognitive behavioral change. You know, and then the guy who discovered that, I can't remember his name, but he actually put his kids in cages, and yes, it's true, and he did that, behavioral stuff. That's screwed up, man. So if you want to get out of your fear of death, go get cognitive behavioral therapy. Not. Well, this one's even better, psychotherapy. It's all your dad's fault. It's all your therapist's fault. It's all your, it's all, actually it gets worse and I'm not going to go to really what he thought the core of all problems were. How about medications? That's another good one. How about beta blockers? How about antidepressants? How about just, you know, just kind of veg through life so you're not even worried. You're not even, you know, cognitive there when that time of death comes. That's crazy. Here's another one, relaxation therapy. Relaxation therapy is like meditation and um, and all that fun stuff. Uh, well, when it comes to the, the moment of death, I don't think you'll be relaxing too much if that's all you've been doing. But you know, there are some examples, one really, really good example of where duty and devotion caused two very important human beings to face death and stand their ground. Face death and stand their ground. This is a, a short speech by General John Kelly, United States Marine Corps. And it was about his uh, being the commander during uh, the, the war in uh, Iraq. And I just want to read it really quickly. So please listen carefully. He did this speech uh, back east in, um, I think it was uh, late uh, 2008, after this event had happened. I might start crying, just so you know. I've read it twice, trying to get it like I can do this like a man. But you know, when someone sacrifices themselves for others, with no thought for themselves, it gets under my skin. Jesus did that for me. When I think about Jesus, it gets under my skin. So here we go. When I was the commander of all United States and Iraqi forces, on April 22, 2008, two Marine infantry battalions, the 109th, the Walking Dead, and the 208th were switching out in Ramadi. One battalion was in the closing days of its deployment, and the other just started its seventh month combat tour. Two Marines, Corporal Jonathan Yale, and Lance Corporal Jordan Herder, 22 and 20 respectively, one, one from each battalion were assuming, uh, were assuming at uh, the entrance gate, were assuming the watch at the entrance gate of outposts that contained a makeshift barracks of housing 50 Marines. The same ramshackle building was also housing 100 Iraqi police. Our allies in the fight against terrorists in Ramadi, known at the time as the most dangerous city on earth, and it was owned by Al-Qaeda. Yale was a dirt-poor, mixed-race kid from Virginia with a wife, a mother, and a sister who all lived with him, and he supported them. 
He did this on a salary of less than $23,000 a year. Herder, on the other hand, was a middle-class white kid from Long Island. They were from completely two different worlds. Had they not joined the Marines, they would have never met each other or understood that multiple Americas exist simultaneously, depending on one's race, uh, ethnic background, religious affiliation, education level, economic status, or where you might have been born. But they were Marines, combat Marines, no less, forged in the same crucible, and because of this bond, they were brothers as close or closer than if they were born of the same woman. Kind of sounds like what the church should be, huh? Oh, I added that. The mission orders they received from their sergeant squad leader, I'm sure went something like this. Okay, take charge of this post and let no unauthorized personnel or vehicles pass. You clear? I'm sure Yale and Herder rolled their eyes and said in unison something like this. Yes, sir! With such an attitude that made the point without saying the other words like, no kidding, sweetheart. We know what we're doing. It's probably what they thought, too. They then relieved the two Marines on watch and took their post at the entry uh, control point of Joint Security Station Nasser uh, there in Ramadi. A few minutes later, a large blue truck turned the out, down the alleyway, perhaps 60 or 70 yards in length, and, it's, and it sped its way through the serpentine concrete Crete Jersey walls, the truck stopped just short of where the two were posted and detonated, killing them both instantly. 24 brick masonry buildings were damaged or destroyed. A mosque 100 yards away collapsed. The truck's engine uh, rested 200 yards away, knocking down most of a house uh, uh, before it stopped. Our explosive experts reckon that the blast was about 2,000 pounds of explosive. But these two young infantry didn't have it in their DNA to run from danger. They saved 150 of their Iraqi and American brothers in arms. When I read the situation report a few hours after it happened, I called the regimental commander for details. Something about this struck me uh, as different. We expected Marines, regardless of rank or MOS, to stand their ground and do their duty and even die in the process if that was what the mission took. But this just seemed different. The regimental command had just returned from the site and he agreed, but reported that there were no American eyewitnesses to the event, just Iraqi police. If there was any chance, there's any chance uh, out of what actually happened or tr finding truth out of what actually happened, then to decorate the two Marines to acknowledge their bravery, I'd have to do it because a combat award requires two eyewitnesses. And I figured the bureaucrats back in Washington would never buy a, an Iraqi statement. If I had any chance at all, it had to come under the signature of a general officer. I traveled to Ramadi the next day, spoke individually to half a dozen Iraqi police, all of whom told the same story. They said, we knew immediately what was going on as soon as the two Marines began firing. The Iraqi police related, uh, some of them also fired, and then to a man each one of them ran for safety just prior to the explosion. Uh, <clears throat> all survived. Many were injured, some seriously. One of the Iraqis elaborated and with tears in his eyes said, they'd run like any normal man would save his, let's see, let's see, they, they'd run like any normal man 
would to save his life. What he didn't know until then and what he learned that very instant was that Marines are not normal. Choking past the emotion, he said, Sir, in the name of God, no sane man would have stood there and done what they did. They saved us all. What we didn't know at that time and only learned after I submitted both Yale and Harder for a, a post-humorous uh, Navy Cross was that one of our security cameras recorded some of the attack. It happened exactly as the Iraqis described. It took exactly six seconds from when the truck entered the alley until it detonated. You can watch the last six seconds of their young lives. I suppose it took about a second for the two Marines to separately come to the same conclusion about what was going, uh, going on once the truck came into their view at the far end of the alley. No time to talk it over or call the sergeant to ask what they should do. Only enough time to take a half a second, think about what the sergeant told them to do only a few minutes before. Let no unauthorized personnel or vehicle pass. It took maybe another two seconds It took maybe another two seconds for them to present their weapons, take aim, and open up. By this time, the truck was halfway through the barriers and gaining speed. Here, the recording shows a number of Iraqi police, some of whom who had fired AKs, now scattering like the normal and rational men they were, some running right past the Marines who had three seconds left to live. For, for about two seconds more, the recording shows the Marines firing their we weapons nonstop. The truck's windshield explodes in the shards of glass as the rounds take <coughs> excuse me as the rounds take it apart and tear into the body of the <coughs> SOB trying to get past them to kill their brothers, American and Iraqi, who are bedded in the barracks, totally unaware of their lives at that moment, dependent entirely on two Marines standing their ground. Ellen Harder never hesitated. But all reports, and by the recording, the video recording, never stepped back. They never even shifted their weight. With their feet spread shoulder width apart, they leaned into the danger, firing as fast as they could. They only had one second left to live, and I think they knew the truck explodes, the camera goes blank. Two young men go to their gods. Six seconds. Not enough time to think about their families, their country, their flag, or about their lives or their deaths. But more than enough time for two very brave young men to do their duty. Those are the kind of people who are on watch all over the world tonight for you. And as amazing as this selfless act of sacrifice may seem, it is the norm. For they were Marines. Shouldn't that be the same testimony for the church? Shouldn't we stand our ground in serving the Lord? Should we not be a band of brothers and sisters who uncompromisingly work together to keep other people from being dragged away by the devil? Shouldn't that not be us? Should we not live our lives now in such a way that when that day of death, that last last six seconds, will see us actually reaching out to encourage those around us to stay the course, as Jeff Drillinger always tells me to do. Should that not be how it is for us? 
Or we become so calloused, so churchianityized, that we don't realize that we're the Lord's army, we're the resurrection army. And we're the ones that stand in the gap now. These men did it without the spirit of Christ. These men, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing. These men did it because it was their duty and they were devoted to who they were. And Marines don't run. Marines stand their ground. Now I've talked with a lot of Marines. Ray Gunter is one of those. By the way, our dear brother, Matt Betson, is a, a Marine. No, not quite as lean and not quite as mean, but still a Marine. And you know what? That man, good man. Yeah, the time I spent with him over the last six months, two-dimensional, and then spending three days with him, man, that guy's got spirit. He's committed to standing in the gap now. And as we were talking about being a new creation and the power of the Holy Spirit, he kept talking about, as a Marine, this is who we were as we talked about this. And I had already written my sermon. <laughs> and so I decided, I better add this to that because those guys stood in the face of death and delivered because of duty and devotion. And you know what I discovered? What I'd already written? That's exactly how Jesus did it. That's exactly how the Apostle Paul did it. So look at the second point. The example of Christ conquering the fear of death. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3. Take a look. Turn there with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. This is a common passage. Many of us know it very well. But you know what? Everything here we need for duty and devotion is given to us. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, both living and and now awaiting us in heaven. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin so which easily entangles, and let us run with race, the race uh, with endurance that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And again in Psalms chapter 22, turn there with me if you would. Psalms chapter 22. If you don't understand that this is a prophetic utterance of Jesus on the cross, you haven't read deep enough. Listen to this passage about Jesus on the cross. Psalms 22 verses 1 through 5. And many of you know this, and yet it's such a powerful passage especially in the last couple verses of this, this section. Psalms chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you, you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. Oh, you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. And in you they trusted and were not disappointed. Did you know that Jesus set his face like flint to go to the cross? He knew exactly what was going to happen. He even told his men what were going to happen. And yet he still set his face like flint. 
I am going to die for you and for the whole world. And he knew exactly how it was going to be. Those men only had six seconds to think, but they pressed into their duty and their devotion and they stood their ground. Jesus Christ, long hours of torture and he stood his ground. Marching up to the, to the top of Golgotha and falling down under the weight and the loss of blood, he stood his ground. And then on that cross, he stood his ground and said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And to the thief, in the last moments of his life, what did he say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. And he fulfilled the last prophecy by saying he was thirsty. And then he gave up his spirit. Absolute resolve. Duty. Duty and devotion. Duty to the mission. Devotion to the Father. What was the mission? To save you and me. And he was uncompromising. He stood his ground like those of Marines, but he was doing it for all eternity, for all humanity. As those men were fulfilling their duty. I talked with Ray Gunther and he said, you know what, when the bullets start flying, you don't think about country and flag. You honestly don't even think about people at home. You think about the brother next to you. That you're going to give it your all. And you can go down to Crestle Valley Armory and ask him if that's what he said to me, and he'll say that's exactly right. He fought in two campaigns. One was a clandestine campaign, and the other one was in Grenada. And so we need to recognize and understand that that heart of a warrior, that heart of one who's going to stand their ground, stand in the gap to save souls, is you and I. That's us. So notice and, and we, we're running out of time. Absolute devotion. Absolute resolve. Hebrews 12. Psalms 22. Absolute faith in God. Absolute trust in God. And you have some other scriptures I would encourage you to read. But what about Paul's example? Well, Paul was a tough guy. He feared nothing, right? Wrong. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians and chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Second Corinthians and chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. And we'll finish with these last two verses. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. See, beyond physical strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. They knew they were going to die. All evidence pointed that they were going to die in their service in the mission field. And what does this say there? Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril and will deliver us. He upon whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Now my son Jacob used that one this morning. I don't know what the future holds, but have you completely trusted in and are you completely relying upon God as your source, source of strength? Is your mission truly a mission like Jesus to save 
those around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters, uh, a band of brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet those outside who are being held captive by the devil. Are you going to stand your ground and continue to live your life in such a way that you're going to, as Paul said, I would most gladly spend and be expended for your soul. Is that you? If that's not you, then you need to begin to examine yourself and make the changes in sacrificing your self-indulgence in little ways. And then grow that. Remember what Jesus said? You want to come after me? First thing you need to do is deny yourself and then take up your cross. He took his cross every moment of his life and then he bore it to Golgotha and there he died a cruel, cruel death. Brethren, the last passage there is, is 2 Timothy, and we'll close with this one. 2 Timothy, beautiful passage. Paul is on death row. It seems by the way he writes this, he's been told when he is going to be beheaded according to the order of Nero. And notice what he says here in 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul, after encouraging the young man Timothy, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. That's written in the definitive. There is a date, and he knows what it is. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In spite of overwhelming fear, knowing now the day, knowing now the hour of his execution, he remains steadfast, encouraging to the last letter, encouraging, I believe, to the last breath. Absolute trust in his Father and in his plan to use him <clears throat> even unto his last breath. In preaching at Virginia Family Camp, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there's a passage that says that we would glorify him and be exalted both in our lives and in our deaths. And we know the Apostle Paul did that. Finally, Paul was unwavering in his trust in God's provision, his protection, and his deliverance until that day he was taken home. Do we have that in us? I share with you, as was shared this morning by Jacob, that if you're only assembling on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and, and, and Wednesday evening, that's not enough. We need to be invested in armoring up ourselves, daily meditative, applicative study of God's word. You need to examine yourself. As was asked by Jacob on the first lesson, are you in the faith? Test yourself and see, are you in the faith? When we look at the faith of Jesus and the faith of the Apostle Paul, I'm going to ask you, how do you measure up? Are you in the faith? Is your faith that kind of faith? I'm working to get that faith. Did you notice that all the leaders in the New Testament, what happened to them? What happened to all the leaders, starting with Jesus? What happened? Well, go ahead, you can say it. They were brutally murdered. 
I'm staying the course. I'll let God decide when he's going to, to allow the hand of some evil, wicked man or woman to do their deed. I don't know if I'll end that way. Maybe I'll end up as an old man with my family around me, hugging on my grandkids. That may die that way. I don't know, but I'm gonna live it right to the end. I'm gonna live it right to the end. Why? Do we have pictures in the scriptures of that? In Jesus? In Paul? How about in Stephen? I just read that in my morning reading. We can be those people. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You need to embrace it, not as an academic book, but as your playbook, as your owner's manual, as the illustrative path on how to live your life. Brethren, we need to grow so we do not fear the day of physical death. If you're living faithfully, you know what you're going to receive. As soon as you open your eyes on the other side, angels will escort you home. That's what Jesus said. Brethren, I'm living today for that day. Let me close with this. And I hope you never hear this or never embrace it. I've been told more than once, man, that Christianity stuff, you become too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. It's the exact opposite, actually. If you set your mind on things above, you're going to be a great brother and sister in Christ, a great husband, a great wife, a great son, a great daughter, a great brother, a great sister, a great servant in the community. That's what you'll be. Those outside, they're going to serve themselves. Brethren, let's not fear that day. Let's embrace it and stand our ground in serving the Lord Jesus to our last breath. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for the blessing of your word for the blessing of good examples. I pray that those two man, men were Christians and they are in heaven with you. But they left a great example and a legacy that should not be forgotten. For those who will have the devotion to Christ and duty to serve him to fulfill his mission in seeking and saving the lost father, we will stand our ground, live a faithful life and draw all others unto you until our last breath. I ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand up, get excited. What did Jesus say to you? Said to go. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the king of kings. King of kings. All right, let's go get her done. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.